Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. My name is Amber Larkins, published photographer, storytelling expert, visual artist, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach. This podcast was born from one question. How do I get inspiring stories of triumph out to the people who need to hear them the most? Come with me, enter my world where lives are getting changed, heroes are getting developed, and greatness is being achieved. Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. I am Amber Larkins, your host, and today I have with me a very special guest, Dr. Henderson. Dr. Henderson is got a lot of things on his bio that I cannot pronounce, so I am going to <laughs> give a quick bio here. He is um, the president and founder of Neuroluminance Incorporated. He's going to explain to us what that is, but this is bringing revolutionary treatments to brain injury, depression, Alzheimer's disease, post-COVID fatigue syndrome, and many other brain disorders. He holds three patents, and he's got three patents pending. He's been published numerous times and has over 70 publications in top research journals that has been cited over 900 scientific papers. He also has a, a book called Brighter Days Ahead. It's featured on Amazon. And he is going to have us rethinking brain disorders like depression and brain injury. Dr. Henderson, I know it's a mouthful. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to have you. Amber, thank you for having me. Cannot wait to get into learning some of these things. I know you work with PTSD and you have many clients and lots of experience in this field. So um, your work is much needed. And I appreciate everything you're doing, and I'm excited to jump into some of this. Yeah, and I think uh, you know the, the way I wrote uh, "Brighter Days Ahead" uh, was really to make it uh, the science available, the science easy to understand, and and to put it in very human terms. Um, there's lots of, uh, of vignettes of uh, my patients and their experiences with depression and PTSD. Uh, and so I think in that way, it's a very accessible book um, and, a, and, a, and kind of a fun read. Uh, I, I have a dry sense of humor um, <laughs> and it pops up every once in a while. Uh, and, and probably the most important thing uh, for your audience is to put PTSD in some perspective today uh, from what's going on in the brain and also to talk about uh, a, a different way of treating PTSD that it, we literally invented here at Neuroluminance. And that's uh, uh, what we'll call LUMIT because it's easier to say. And LUMIT stands for Laser Unattenuated Multi-Watt Infrared Therapy. And what the heck is that? <laughs> it's a mouthful right there in and of itself. It is. That's why we say LUMIT. <laughs> and what we're actually doing is that infrared light, certain wavelengths of infrared light, um, turn on the mitochondria. Uh, and, you know, this is something that, you know, if, if we're able to do a figure, uh, uh, put in a picture here, I'll, it'll make a lot more sense. But infrared light, if it can get through the scalp and the skull and reach the, the neurons in the brain and reach the mitochondria, it turns on the mitochondria and activates them. Uh, and the mitochondria then sends signals to the rest of the cell um, telling the cell to produce uh, uh, um, 
anti-inflammatory proteins, as well as turning on a very important growth factor called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF for short. And BDNF drives neuroplasticity within the brain. In other words, it drives brain repair. And why does that matter to someone with PTSD? Isn't PTSD, oh, just all your bad thoughts and, and how you're thinking about things and woe is me and, and you know, getting triggered and uh, uh, avoiding uh, triggers. And isn't that that's all, you know, psychology? Well, no, it's actually not. What's going on in the brain in PTSD is the brain is degenerating. Synapses are breaking down. Circuits are breaking down. Dendrites, the little branchy things on neurons are shrinking back and, you know, going from looking like a big oak tree to, you know, a, a rose bush in the winter. And so that degenerative change I mean, leads to the frontal cortex getting thinner and the hippocampus, the part of our brain involved in learning and memory, getting smaller. And fortunately, that's reversible. And so with treatment, whether the treatment psychotherapy uh, or group therapy or medications or LUMIT, um, the, the brain is able to regenerate and repair itself. But with LUMIT therapy, we're actually telling the brain, okay, get busy here. Come on, let's, let's get that BDNF going. Let's regenerate. Uh, and so uh, patients get better much faster. It's amazing. I'll be honest, like the brain is a very complex thing. And, and, and though I've been working with trauma, you know, for a few years now, just different people them telling me stories, I'm not a therapist or anything. The brain is a hard thing to kind of wrap our minds around how that actually works. So it's very helpful to have someone like you under uh, explain it to us as to how that works. And I think that people, if they can understand what's actually happening in the brain, it makes it a little bit easier for them to, it's more hopeful and that mm -hmm. it's treatable. In your book, does this go through and explain some of these different things? Uh, well, the, the book is uh, in part talking about, uh, predominantly talking about depression um, and PTSD uh, and what that really means, because we, we've been told for years that, oh, well, depression is, you know, uh, imbalance of chemicals in your brain. You don't have enough serotonin. We have to increase your serotonin by putting you on Prozac or Zoloft or Paxil. That's nonsense. <laughs> that has been completely disproven over and over again now. Um, so scientific studies have looked at the serotonin in the brain and depression. There's zero relationship. Okay. It's a happy accident that SSRIs increase serotonin and treat depression, uh, th but the two are not related. <laughs> in fact, you know, Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft, they very weakly, very poorly turn on BDNF and drive neuroplasticity, but they're not very good at it. Now, one drug that is fantastic at turning on BDNF is ketamine. And so in the book, I talk quite a bit about ketamine and ketamine infusion therapy and how that can is a powerfully effective way of turning on neuroplasticity. Um, ketamine is, is, you know, become this kind of a rage in America. Uh, and, you know, you, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a ketamine clinic in Denver, uh, where I'm at. Uh, and I'm sure it's true in many other cities. 
uh, and what they're doing with ketamine, actually, most of these clinics um, is not the right way to do it uh, because they're they're saying, well, you got to get six infusions in two weeks, and so you get six infusions in two weeks, and fifty percent of the people don't feel better. And the reason is, is that neuroplasticity takes time. Um, neurons grow a millimeter a day. <laughs> You're not going to fix someone in two weeks. So you had to give neuroplasticity time. And that time, you know, is measured in, in you know, six, eight weeks. Uh, and so with our infrared light therapy, you know, our patients are six, eight weeks and, and their PTSD is better. Their depression is better. Uh, we have a 93% response rate, 93%. Wow. In the book, I also talk about, uh, I, I talk about one patient in particular, and I tell her story of, you know, she came to us with a coupon. We'd put out a coupon, she comes in, she gets ketamine, gets better. But as she gets better, you know, this is the trick of trauma. Our brain, is smart enough to protect us from being overwhelmed. And so it, we won't remember trauma. We won't deal with it because it would be overwhelming if you're dealing with all this other stuff at the same time. So as she got better, her trauma memories started to surface. And then she you know, had to work through that, uh, her ch child sexual abuse in therapy. Uh, and she did a, a combination of therapy, which is why she did body therapy and psychotherapy and group therapy. Because, you know, as uh, Vessel Vandrickel talks about, uh, the, 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 the body keeps the score, right? The body remembers. There's somatic storage of memory. So she did all of this work. And now, you know, she's doing fantastic. First, I have a question. Is, is ketamine a pharmaceutical drug? Absolutely. So ketamine started life as an anesthetic. Uh, and it's, in fact, one of the safest anesthetics. It's the most common used anesthetic in children's hospitals because it's kids, you know, you don't want to give them something that's going to suppress their respiratory drive or suppress their heart rate, you know, and ketamine doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. So ketamine uh, has, has been used as an anesthetic for uh, since uh, the 1970s. And uh, it was the discovery that, you know, low dose ketamine, not, not the kind of doses you use for surgery, but like one tenth of that dose and one one hundredth of the dose that people abuse on the street. Those little low doses of ketamine had an antidepressant effect. And then it took us years to kind of figure out the molecular biology of that. And, you know, my book is, has, has some of that molecular biology for someone who really wants to geek out, you know. But it's all in the back of the book. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the main part of the book is, you know, you can read it, you know, on your couch, relaxed, uh, you know, with a cup of, with a mm -hmm. glass of iced tea. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, and then you, if you get really, you know, gutsy, you can go and geek out on the deep dives in the back of the book where the, all the science is. The science, that, that's what is, uh, is a lot, I feel like, to wrap your mind around. And mm -hmm. I, I think in general, People are looking for, especially people that are like suffering through PTSD or suffering through different types of trauma. They're looking for a way to get out of that. And mm -hmm. I think when you're in a desperate situation where your brain is saying this is hopeless or you can't think your way out of these things, um, 
you're kind of at a loss. I feel like a lot of people get mm-hmm. to where they're at a loss. They're not sure what to do or who to call or, you know, I, I had another guest on the podcast and she was talking about how she felt completely alone in mm-hmm. her trauma because no one could understand what she was going through. And uh, so I think that that's, that's definitely something that people struggle with. And I think I love that your book covers kind of general readability in the first part of it um, to just give people an outlet to say this is this is what's going on. And this is different ways that possibly I could treat these things that is going on inside of my brain. Do you use you you treat people you use ketamine sometimes and then sometimes you don't it just depends on the type of trauma that they've been through and sort of the pharmacological assessment of what's going on for them. Um, you know, because ketamine infusion therapy isn't cheap. Um, you know, and if, if there's a medication that's going to work for them or infrared light therapy is going to work for them, the Lumit therapy, uh, you know, then ketamine may, may not be needed. One interesting aspect of this is that for the really, really tough cases, I put the two together. And here's why. Ketamine turns on BDNF. I remember I mentioned that. So it's turning on neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And Lumit, infrared light therapy, turns on BDNF by different mechanism. So we get synergism. We get one plus one equals three. And that you know, is amazing for really complicated, tough depression and tough PTSD. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing that ketamine allows us to do is ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And in PTSD and trauma, that is, can be very, very valuable. Um, and, you know, there are lots of clinics now that are doing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And when I do it, I usually bring in the patient's, you know, real therapist. I don't try to substitute a, you know, therapist of my own. It's like, let's bring in your therapist. And wh- what happens is that ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. So that means that at low doses, it's sort of like you take a step back from yourself. Mm. And the, uh, the experience is that you can kind of see yourself in a little bit different light. So literally in one of uh, the most horrific um, trauma stories I've ever heard in my 25 years in psychiatry, we were working in, with her psychologist in ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And literally she looks into his eyes and her eyes are wide. And she says, you mean it wasn't my fault? She got that insight because she could be, you know, a step back from herself and not deep inside that shame and guilt that so many trauma survivors experience, so many abuse survivors experience. Do you, so you work with, all different types of trauma, Mm -hmm. um, different types of PTSD. Anyone could come to you with any type of um, issue and you could help them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, uh, and and certainly I have experienced a tremendous amount of experience with uh, uh, sexual abuse trauma. Um, I ran a nonprofit in St. Louis uh, while I was a medical student. Um, It was the Child Abuse Prevention Task Force. And literally what I did is I trained up medical students and we went into the classrooms of elementary schools 
and talk to kids about good touch and bad touch and what to do. Uh, and we talked to teachers about child sexual abuse and talked to parents about child sexual abuse. And, you know, we, I, we did this for uh, nine years. I ran that program. That's awesome. So, <laughs> That's awesome, it, it too, was, that it, for you doing that at being in college, what a... Well, I was in medical school, to be oh, to be correct. Okay. I was, uh, it was in medical school. But, you know, what I did is I taught medical students as well about this. You know, the, the, all these mm -hmm. students that volunteered to go out and teach kids, they learned about this. And you mm -hmm. know what? Child sexual abuse gets about, you know, two minutes in most medical school curricula. It's it's largely ignored. That that's disappointing. But I can see I, I I definitely believe that that's the case and it's really sad because the children are the future. And mm -hmm. so when you corrupt mm -hmm. them at such an early age, you're creating a plethora of problems going forward into yeah. the next generation so that's mm -hmm. um that's that's crazy that that it's not more focus put on that but i do want to ask you a little bit too about we've talked about the ketamine but i mm -hmm. want you to talk a little bit more about this um luminance therapy the infrared yeah. light is this something that is this a certain type of infrared light because you know mm -hmm. i worked at a med spa for a while we did like the infrared sauna is that mm -hmm. the same type of light or is that different? Great question. Yeah, and I get that question a lot. Um, so infrared light is a pretty big spectrum of light. It goes all the way from visible light to microwaves. Um, and so there's a whole lot of different wavelengths in there. The infrared saunas are at the long end of infrared light, uh, closer to microwaves. And so really what you're getting is heat. Uh, and you know, heat is good in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, it, it penetrates the muscles and relaxes them, and it's uh, helpful in, in uh, chronic illnesses such as chronic fatigue syndrome and Lyme, chronic Lyme disease. Um, but the wavelengths that we're working with um, are able to penetrate tissue. And the trick is that in the mitochondria, there, there's uh, what's called the electron transport chain. I won't geek out too much, I promise. But there are little enzymes that are what create enzymes. So there's this whole chain of enzymes. Some of the enzymes contain copper. And so just like our hemoglobin contains iron, and that's what allows the hemoglobin to pick up oxygen one place and drop it off another, mm -hmm. the, the copper allows for the movement of the electrons. Now, w certain wavelengths of infrared light um, are absorbed by that copper and turned into an electron, turned into energy, and turned into signals. So it's really about, you know, there's only certain wavelengths that, that activate those enzymes, very specific. Now, what we did was, you know, we saw the research that was going on at, at places like Harvard, where there are, you know, let's take 50 mice, whack them all in the head the same exact way, and then 25 will treat with infrared light, and 25 we won't. And lo and behold, the ones who got treated with infrared light, their brains healed. Uh, and they had very little neurological deficit. They could walk and do all these things that, you know, the, the brain injured ones who didn't get treated mm -hmm. couldn't. Mm. Uh, and so all that research was going on and they're looking at, at mice. And let me tell you, uh, the skull and scalp of a mouse is a lot thinner than 
you know, say a human's, you know, our skulls are pretty thick. Mine is thicker than most. <laughs> and, you know, you had to have enough power to get through the scalp and skull to get through the brain. So what we did is we grew up that technology so that we were, we went into the lab and we, you know, took tissue, human tissue and uh, sheep brains and sheep heads and da, 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 and figured out how, how much energy you had to deliver to the scalp and skull to reach the brain and directly mm -hmm. turn on those mitochondria in the human brain. Right. And so we published that in uh, 2015, and uh, we've been treating patients uh, since then. We started with brain injury. Uh, and then we noticed, gosh, all of our patients who had depression along with their brain injury, their depression was getting better. So we studied depression and then, you know, PTSD. And then, you know, COVID hit. Uh, and we had all these, you know, 30% of people who get COVID get some form of long COVID. Uh, and, um, you know, we started treating those patients and lo and behold, that their brain fog and their fatigue and all that would go away. Mm. So it, it's been remarkable. And we're learning, you know, literally every day with every patient, I'm learning something new. Um, and again, we, you know, see a fair amount of PTSD. Um, you know, I, I want to put a plug out there for veterans. Um, our original uh, group of patients that we treated, about half of them were veterans. Um, one was a, a bomb diffuser. He had eight uh, IED explosions that he was exposed to. Um, and, you know, the, the benefit for them was tremendous. And so we formed a foundation, the Neural Laser Foundation, which is a nonprofit that subsidizes the treatment of veterans and first responders. Um, and speaking of first responders, uh, I want to put a plug out for the, the film Residual. It's just come out. Uh, and uh, it's, it's about PTSD and trauma in first responders. Mm -hmm. And it features one of our patients and, and his, uh, his remarkable recovery, um, as well as uh, other types of treatment. Um, so, you know, the, the first responders and veterans, if, if they're out there and they want treatment for trauma, you know, reach out to us and we'll be able to subsidize part of that treatment. Wow. That's awesome. So do you still work in large part with veterans? I, I, you know, it's a, it's actually a small part of what we do. It's a, a, a lot of our, you know, a lot of the patients that with PTSD that come to us, quite frankly, are coming from the attorneys uh, in divorce cases. Uh, and, you know, divorce is, is horrible. And I always think I've heard, <laughs> okay, now I've heard the worst divorce story ever. And then next week, <laughs> I, I get another one. Uh, that's even worse. And uh, so, you know, whether it's the, the husband or the wife in, in the divorce, uh, it can be horrible. Are you seeing like abuse situations in divorce or emotional abuse uh, as well mm -hmm. as physical abuse? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so some of these patients are so paralyzed, they can't even fill out the paperwork. I mean, looking at the paperwork, they just give up and crawl into bed for a day and hide. Um, and then, you know, we treat them. And, you know, one of our patients who was like that, she's now advocating for herself in court. She's like, hold it a second. You can't do that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, she's now organizing appeals. And it's just, it's so tremendous to see, 
you know, that she's got her strength back and she's got her power back. Sometimes in the middle of a divorce, for example, there's financial things as well as advice from attorneys that says don't spend, shouldn't spend money. What do you have advice that you give someone like maybe they can't afford the treatment or they, um, or they have to be very careful in how they spend? Do you have advice or like a starting thing that you take them through before they actually can invest in treatment? Well, yeah, every patient gets evaluated by me uh, to determine, you know, what's going to be best for them. Uh, and sometimes that's lumit therapy and the infrared light therapy. And, and sometimes it's ketamine and sometimes it's pharmacology. And sometimes it's, you know, I get them in with uh, uh, a, the uh, some of my amazing uh, psychologist colleagues here in Denver. Yeah. So it's really, so you, it's very individualized. So you kind of consult with people, tell them what they need, and then give them the best point of action based on what they need. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And sometimes that could even come from possibly starting out with just the book, reading the book at first. I ask that only because I know that sometimes when people are in the middle of going through a traumatic situation, if finances is an issue, then also they're, now this is another stressful or a source of hopelessness. If you're listening and you're, and you feel hopeless, don't because there's resources. Yeah, in fact, uh, let me add one piece to this and, and yeah. it, it's, it varies from attorney to attorney, but sometimes, you know, the attorneys will, will foot that bill. Uh, and that will get, you know, the, cause they, they need their client healthy in order to be able to get the best outcome. Um, and you know, they want their client to be healthy so that they can take care of their kids. Um, you know, this is all really important stuff. So in the sense of, you know, I've yet to have any attorney say to me, oh, no, 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 we don't want to make them healthy, uh, you know, the, the, for the divorce. No, the, the, the complete opposite. And, and, I, and I, I like talking with the attorneys because then we're on the same team, right? We're on the same page and we're not fighting each other uh, unintentionally. And that's awesome to know. Um, because that's something I feel like, especially if you're going through divorce, it's like, how many times does one go through a divorce in their life? Um, hopefully not many. <laughs> so, you know, let's you, keep it to one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or none. <laughs> but if you have to go through it, you, mm -hmm. um, you know, you are faced with these things. And um, it's always good to, to know your knowledge is power. So it's good to know what you can and can't do. And I think that the, 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 my heart behind, behind everything that I do, even here on the podcast is just to help people not feel hopeless. You know, like there is a way to, to move out of things. And I'm a firm believer that all people need therapy at, you know, at some point in their life on some level. Um, cause I don't remember if we spoke about this once we got on the call or before we started recording, everybody has some form of trauma which this is something I wanted to ask you as well, because there is this misconception that, um, misperception, did I say that right? <laughs> anyway, there's this thought process that says, if, I've not, if I'm not a veteran, if I'm not a first responder, I don't really have PTSD. And uh, this has come up in other conversations, but I would love your thoughts on that or how you respond to that if a client 
where to come to you and say, it's not really PTSD. It's mm. something else. Cause I was mm -hmm. not a veteran. Well, I mean, I'd say that's poppycock. Uh, everyone can experience <laughs> PTSD. Um, I'll give you my example. And this isn't in the book. Uh, in, in the book, I talk a little bit about my childhood experience, which was, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, moving on. Um, but, you know, when I was in medical school, uh, my uh, long-term uh, girlfriend, probably would have been my fiance, uh, was assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted and almost killed. Uh, she ended up in the ICU because the guy throttled her to the point that she had stopped breathing. Mm. Um, and I was there at her side the entire time. And I was there through her recovery and through her, uh, her therapy work. And, and, and I figured out who had done it. We didn't, you know, at the time it was just, you know, some guy who busted in her door. I figured out it was the guy downstairs in her apartment. And eventually, you know, pushed the police to investigate and they arrested him and we went to trial and his public defender got her, him off because he claimed, well, um, she's Chinese. Um, she can't recognize a white guy. So how could she possibly point and say, that's the guy that did it because they can't recognize white people. And the jury bought it and he was cleared. And she and I both just went into a deep, 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 dark place. Um, I remember trying to walk from my car to the university and I felt like I was walking through cement, wet cement. I, I could barely lift my feet up um, and my brain wasn't working. And I, you know, all I, I just, it was like, get through the day, drink myself silly. Um, and she's right there by my side and hold each other tight and cry. Um, and that went on for months. So here, you know, I, I was in no physical danger, but for me, that the, the trauma of the, the system letting us down was so horrific. And then, you know, we got better and we're going about our lives and we moved to St. Louis together uh, for me to go back to medical school. And we get a call one day. And it's the district attorney saying, yeah, this guy did it again. Uh, but, you know, this time he's convicted. Would you like to give a statement to the judge about, you know, for sentencing purposes? And it's like, and we went through it all over again. You know, we went through an episode of PTSD that lasted weeks uh, because of that. Uh, and finally, you know, us writing, you know, me helping her write that letter. That was the thing that kind of helped us to feel better ultimately was to take some of that power back that was taken away from us to take that was taken away from her. And, you know, for me, it essentially was all vicarious, right? I, nothing happened to me directly, but I still went through PTSD. I still went through horrible trauma. I still felt like, you know, hopeless and that life was over. This would never get better. So, mm -hmm. You know, I get it. I get it. I know I, I, I've kind of walked in that, in those shoes for people who've gone through trauma. I've been there. That, that's, you know, the adult yeah. trauma. We won't even talk about the childhood stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this kind of brings up a point as well. There is this thing, and I learned this, so I got into first really 
kind of dealing with trauma because I was doing photography and clients would open up to me and share some mm -hmm. of these types, different types of trauma they had been through. And I started doing these photo shoots around it or whatever. But mm -hmm. one of the initial things when I first started doing this was that I know re-engaging trauma can be traumatic in and of itself. And I would love you to clarify this, but my understanding is when we go through some type of traumatic situation, we, a lot of times want to kind of suppress. You want to push it mm -hmm. down, suppress it, not face it, not heal from it, but you just push it. And eventually that never, that never works because eventually what's going to happen is you're going to be triggered. You're going to explode. But then you face the alternate version of that, which is I face this, I heal from it, but now I'm running in straight proximity to pain and hurt because I'm having to re-engage this trauma. So I can relate to how people possibly would feel like I would rather just suppress and not talk about it and pretend like it didn't happen. Um, is that your perception of how that works and based on your experience because you went through this is this something that um that you felt like was happening once this kind of was drug, drug back up mm -hmm. yeah it's a great it's a great question um you know and i think uh, the body keeps the score is is a wonderful wonderful book and it's really true it's like we we, we store memories in our joints and our muscles and and that way we don't have to think about it, but it does come out eventually. Um, so in, in what's going on with the brain uh, in PTSD is that, you know, circuits are breaking down and the frontal cortex is working less and less and less well. And so in part uh, that facilitates sort of hiding from the trauma, hiding from the memories. So with treatment, as the brain starts to recover, and starts to form new circuits and re, uh, and repair itself, then you know that stuff becomes available. So, in, in a way, what what I'm saying is sort of what I said earlier, which is that you know the brain protects us until we're ready to deal with a particular piece of trauma. And trauma work doesn't have to be going back and reliving every freaking moment of it, right? You don't have to do that to do therapy. That's the amazing thing about Lumit is Lumit, you know, uh, uh, I'll give you one example, um, a veteran. Uh, his trauma was 50 years ago. He watched his buddies die. Um, and, you know, he, he was wounded himself and had terrible trauma. Every time the jets fly over, we're near the Air Force base, so the jets fly over, he'd be in the basement crying. He came and got it for red light therapy and, and he was amazingly fast. Six treatments. On the sixth treatment, it was like it, it didn't bother him anymore. He was done. He was done. Mm -hmm. Jets, no, no biggie. And, and so it doesn't have to be just going through every single experience. And this is in part what EMDR is about. EMDR is not about okay, do this and tell me all the traumatic stuff. You, it really isn't because, uh, and particularly if you combine EMDR with uh, metaphor work, that is, you don't have to go through the details. You can do this all in metaphor. You can do this all one step removed. 
for, I used to work, uh, I used to do a lot more EMDR than I do now. Um, but I, you know, I was here in Denver when Columbine happened. And so a few years later, you know, there's all these kids with all this trauma. And so I would work with these kids and I worked with uh, rape uh, victims and I worked with uh, people with other types of trauma, childhood abuse, et cetera. But we did it all sort of one step removed. Um, you know, so it was, uh, you know, for, uh, the beautiful story of one of my uh, Columbine uh, survivors. I mean, it was all about uh, uh, giant mushrooms and playing basketball and uh, a jar full of sunshine. I mean, it was all, you know, one step removed from we're in the school and people are shooting and my boyfriend got killed. You know, it was removed from that. It was, And so I think there are different ways to approach trauma. So ketamine, for example, again, you're one step removed. And so you can look at it in a different way. Um, and uh, the, the progress that's being made with MDMA-assisted therapy is the same sort of thing. It's giving you that little bit of cushion between you and the trauma. You don't have to wallow. You don't have to be sucked into it again. You don't have to wallow in it. You don't have to be wounded by it again. I think that's so important is there are different ways to work on PTSD rather and this body work as well. If you work with your body, you're not like reliving, you know, that day when you were sex, you know, you're not, you're not reliving those kinds of things, but you're still doing the therapy that helps your body release the memories and the trauma and your brain to uh, recover. Trauma therapy has come a really long way. I'm thinking, of course, I've not really been as engaged in this field like my entire life, but from what I'm seeing, it seems like mental health, people are giving mental health priority and Mm -hmm. the therapy for trauma and for PTSD is seems like is is improving maybe as we learn more and speak more. And -hmm. there's not as much of a shame surrounded because I know sometimes with certain types of trauma, there's shame surrounding that, that people don't Mm want to share their story or they don't want to talk about what has happened. Do you think that we're making strides in the treatment of PTSD and trauma? I really do. I really do. Uh, And (laughs) I'll give you one example. When I was in high school, I finally, you know, said, okay, I need to talk to someone about all this stuff that happened because I'm like, uh, you know, and I talk about this in the book that I was, I I basically bargained with myself to stay alive, um, to not commit suicide when I was in high school. And, you know, so I go to this therapist and, you know, six, seven, eight sessions in, I'm talking about all this stuff I experienced and how I feel and how hopeless I feel and how useless I feel, how, how dirty I feel and how ashamed I feel. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> he says to me, um, you're right. You know, your, your life is hopeless. You're, you're screwed. This is what he said to me. Now, maybe he was trying to reverse psychology me and make me <laughs> mad at him, which is actually what happened. I came back and told him, you know, screw you. Um, <laughs> I, I I still, you know, felt suicidal until well into, into well, uh, until I was about 30. Uh, when, I, when I turned 30, I never thought I'd turn 30. 
I never thought I'd live that long. And so the day I turned 30, you know, I uh, said, wow, I guess I had to get serious about living. I guess I had to get serious about this because I'm, I'm still here. And, and that's really when it changed, you know, for me. That's when fundamentally, you know, I, I changed directions. Now, uh, specifically on trauma therapy, how has it changed? Well, I think, I think the awareness of, you know, the, the, the amazing work of Vessel van der Kolk on, on understanding trauma and how our bodies store it and how our brains store it. The amazing uh, progress in neurobiology of understanding that it's a degenerative process. Uh, the amazing work of EMDR uh, and understanding more about how EMDR allows us to pull back from the, the, the uh, emergency response, the, the, the fight or flight response that uh, uh, trauma triggers in us. So all of that amazing work, I think, has really shifted the way uh, therapy, uh, therapists approach trauma. And, and so if you're not getting that, <laughs> if you're in therapy with someone and they're not kind of helping you to uh, create that distance so that you can work on it, you know, one step removed, then it's kind of time to look for a different therapist. I'll say it frankly. Do you have advice as far as if someone was looking for a therapist in their area, what things they would look for or what things it's kind of like the baseline or guidelines for that? I, I mentioned EMDR and I think you can go to the EMDRIA, E-M-D-R-I-A, which is the association, and look at a directory and they'll show you how well educated someone is in EMDR, you know? And so you want someone who's at the level, you know, a higher level in EMDR mm -hmm. than say, you know, just having first done it. Um, and uh, uh, people who have experience working with trauma will use different, you know, modalities. They'll bring different things in. Uh, ketamine assisted psychotherapy is, is uh, growing rapidly. Um, <laughs> Although there's a worldwide shortage of ketamine right now, go figure, and epinephrine and half a dozen other medications. Um, and, and this work on MDMA uh, has been amazing. Um, the, the clinical trials got messed up because, you know, what happened? Uh, one therapist decided, okay, I think I'll molest my patients while I'm giving them MDMA. Really? Um, so that's delayed the clinical trial. Um, it's disgusting. It's, it's uh, abhorrent. Um, uh, but, you know, that's delayed the, the, uh, the clinical trials that lead to FDA approval. But there are centers that are doing MDMA therapy. Um, you know, and, and always, uh, I think there's some really important books to read. Um, you know, sure, my book. <laughs> but, uh, you know, The Courage to Heal. Uh, a classic in child sexual abuse, and and to this day it remains a very very valuable book. Uh, the Courage to Heal workbook that goes along with it. Uh, I can't tell you how many patients we walked through that book, that workbook together. Um, you know the, uh, the again uh, a plug for Vessel van der Kolk's uh, The Body Keeps the Score, amazing book that's really really helpful uh, to understand what you're experiencing. Cause like, if nobody tells you that, you know, you're getting massage and all of a sudden you're, you're bawling your eyes out cause somebody, you know, got under your shoulder blade. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, but you know, it happens all the time. I want to ask you this. If yeah. someone is listening per se, and they're on the fence of like, they're right there 
uh, as far as suicidal, what advice would you give them like right now? Mm. So one of the things that I think goes on uh, in, in our minds is that we believe that this is how it's going to be forever. And if this is how it's going to be, you know, uh, I, you know, I gave the example of, uh, uh, you know, the, the trauma that my girlfriend and I went through, um, you know, if this is how we're going to feel for the rest of our lives, this is pointless, you know, uh, to check out. And so it's really, really, and, and your brain gets stuck there. And that, that's part of the changes that go on with PTSD is, is, is your ability to have foresight, your ability to see the future uh, that can be different, to, to plan, to organize, to, to organize yourself and not to escape from an abusive relationship. Um, you know, so literally just right before uh, I got on with you, I was talking uh, to one of my patients who uh, she's in the middle of a nasty divorce. But it, it took two years to get her to the point where she could leave the house. It took two years. Um, and, you know, it was every day helping her to kind of grow a little stronger. So what do I say to someone who's right there on the verge of suicide is that things can change and things can get better. And this is not your, this is not the rest of your life. This is a moment in time. And suicide's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. So, you know, because I've lived it, you know, I know. Uh, I've made that decision every day not to commit suicide, not to hit the steering wheel and go right into that concrete uh, wall that I drove past every day on the way to work or way to school. You know, I've made that decision. So I know, you know, you, you have to kind of have, it's not faith in a way, but it's, you have to have the realization that things can change, that things can get better. Uh, and then, you know, that's the first step to having the strength and, the, and taking back a little bit of the power in order to be able to uh, change that situation. So let me touch on something with you that you brought up. You brought up shame and, and guilt. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in the book uh, in when I, I'm talking about this one patient's journey. And it, it's, it's really fundamentally true. One of the things that human beings hate the most, that we're most afraid of, is being out of control. Mm. right Mm -hmm. you know that's why we like roller coaster rides is that feeling of being out of control it's that you know you know it's going to end right but for a moment you can feel that fear but it's terrifying it's terrifying to be out of control and people who are in abusive situations uh, people who are being raped they're out of control they do not have control of the situation they are powerless and they are controlless. And so one of the things that our brain does to protect us from that fear is to say, well, you know, I had a little bit of control here. You know, yeah, my stepdad said, well, you're so cute. I just can't help myself. Well, okay, it was my fault. I was too good looking. I was too cute. Um, Or, you know, 
well, if you hadn't worn that dress, you know, somebody says, you know, that wouldn't have happened to you. But the dress has, your clothes have nothing to do with whether you get raped or not. Um, but you grab onto that, say, oh, there's my little bit of control. And that becomes your little bit of guilt. And that becomes your whole lot of shame. And so, you know, we always look at shame as sort of a bad thing, but it's actually protecting us. It's protecting us from that feeling of being out of control. And so, you know, I help patients to sort of start to realize, you know, there's that connection back to guilt. And what's the guilt for? Oh, well, I did that. Well, how did that cause you to be raped? Or how did that cause you to be, um, to be uh, assaulted or abused as a child? How did that cause you to, you know, watch your buddies get killed next to you in a war situation? Um, and so there's that connection between our, our desperate need not to feel out of control and guilt and shame. That's very insightful. I've never thought of it like that. I, I think of um, guilt as something happening and maybe we don't react um, and then later look back on it like I should have responded or reacted differently. And I think of shame as if like this is something that obviously we take the blame that these things happen at some point because otherwise why would we not why would we be shameful in sharing those things mm -hmm. um so that's very insightful that you know that you shared that so i know we're kind of getting to the end here but i do want to ask you this well first i want to say like if somebody was looking to try to find you what is the best way? And we'll, we'll put out everything in the show notes as well, but like mm -hmm. it always helps to say it here too. What would you recommend them do to get in contact with you? Yeah, so our, our website is neuroluminance.com. So N-E-U-R-O hyphen luminance, L-U-M-I-N-A-N-C-E.com. Uh, and, you know, there's uh, you can... There's a place to kind of ask for a consultation and, and we do, we provide free 15 minute telephone consultations um, that I conduct uh, so that, you know, we can find out if, you know, what's going on and, you know, are we the right people to help or is there someone else? I mean, I, I I'll, I'll refer patients, you know, who are out in California to, you know, a clinic in California, uh, but sometimes it's, you know, really, you know, the only place to get Lumet, the only place to get laser unattenuated multi-watt therapy, the infrared light that gets to your brain actually is here <laughs> in Denver. Um, there, are, there are companies that are selling LEDs that you can stick on your head that have infrared light or shove one up your nose, but these LEDs are half watts. They're half watt mm. of power. A half watt of power doesn't even get through your skin. I mean, it's a great way to grow hair. You want to grow hair, get that little cap and put it on and you'll, you'll grow your hair back. <laughs> it's not going to reach your brain. It just brings up another question for me. Um, do you work, is there an age limit that you work with or, you know, do you work with kids? Do you work with elderly? Do you work with anybody? Um, yeah, I limit my practice to three to 83. <laughs> okay. Just a little limitation um, there. There you go. I, I, I actually trained, I'm fellowship trained in child psychiatry. Uh, so I'm both an adult psychiatrist and a child psychiatrist. And so uh, with kids, it's, we do a lot, you know, we're not rushing to get kids uh, under a, a laser, 
for example. But, you know, we are treating kids uh, 12 years old, 11 years old uh, who have ADHD. And this is an amazing kind of complete aside. Uh, the infrared light therapy actually really helps ADHD. So we have kids now who, you know, they don't need to take a stimulant anymore. And we have adults who don't need to take stimulants anymore. So um, we're just scratching the surface what Lumit can do, uh, which is part of what the patents are. Um, and then I also do work with chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, and uh, which is fascinating and another place I geek out on. Um, and uh, so, you know, again, you know, I can help three to 83. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So any closing thoughts or remarks that you have or anything you'd like to leave the guests with that have listened this, this long, this far? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm a bit of a Renaissance man in the sense that I, I have my, my hands in a lot of different pots. Uh, I like that. That keeps me, uh, uh, keeps me stimulated. Um, and, and the, the laser unattenuated multi-watt infrared light therapy or Lumit really is, is revolutionary. This is, this is the fifth branch of medicine. Uh, and it's going to really change how we approach depression and how we approach PTSD. And of course, you know, other things like traumatic brain injury um, and other brain disorders. Um, and I could geek out on that for hours. But, you know, my hope is that, you know, it, people will start to, you know, consider Lumit therapy when they're, uh, you know, struggling with PTSD. Um, you know, going through that nasty divorce and feeling overwhelmed and stuck, um, you know, we really see tremendous benefit for patients. It's very safe. Um, it's very comfortable. Uh, and uh, it's right here in Denver. So definitely learn more about that. I'm a firm believer that try to treat as holistically as possible without mm -hmm. having to get into the pharmaceuticals because we obviously do have side effects with those. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think that what you're doing is awesome and that, you know, your research and everything, your patents, and um, I'm excited to see what the future of treatment looks like for PTSD and, and trauma and uh, some survivors, you know, of abuse and all these different traumatic things. So I uh, appreciate your work and I appreciate you coming to share with us today. Definitely go check out Dr. Henderson. He's doing amazing things and look into some of his work. If you're struggling at all with trauma, with PTSD, and you don't really know where to go from there, I'd love for you to reach out to me. I'll try to point you to the right resources. I know Dr. Henderson has a heart for what he does and would love to, to help you and point you in the right direction as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Henderson. I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much, much for having me. It's been a real pleasure, Amber. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you for listening to Through the Trauma Podcast. If you have found value in this episode or believe in the mission behind what we are doing, please subscribe so that you never miss any future episodes. Also, be sure to check out our Transformation Project at transformationthroughtraumaproject.com, where we help inspirational stories get heard on a larger scale through multiple platforms. If you know someone who can benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Until next time.